0: Amen. If you're happy you're saved this morning, would you say amen? amen? If you're ready to look into God's word together, would you say amen? amen. We've been looking in Sunday mornings at this uh, book, 1 Corinthians. It's a challenging study about a very gifted church that was struggling with some very relevant issues. And we're looking at this because church matters. Church matters. This, this world needs the church to matter. Hey, let's be honest. I need the church to matter and what I need is not a church that impresses with its talents but a church that's able to impact with the truth and so this morning we brace for impact because Paul is about to get all up in our business he moves from talking about the cross in chapters 1 and 2 to begin to very directly address our conduct It's like the old preacher said, as somebody uh, on on the way out shook his hand and said, Reverend, you really stepped on my toes today. The old preacher said, well, then we missed the mark. Because the Holy Spirit's aim isn't to step on our toes, but to change our heart. What we have here is Paul calls out this church for spiritual immaturity. They wouldn't grow up. They wouldn't grow up. How many of you are familiar with the old Disney character Peter Pan? Peter Pan was was the young man who lived in Neverland who refused to grow up. You know, what the church at Corinth was experiencing was a regular Peter Pandemic. Or what we might call widespread, contagious childishness. By the way, that still plagues the church today. Christians who won't grow up, they won't grow, they, 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 won't, they think they're done growing, they're hoping someone else will grow, it's a Peter pandemic. And so church, let's this morning allow God's word to impact our hearts for his glory. But let's begin reading, we'll read verses 1 through 4, Paul wrote, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of of Apollos, are ye not carnal?' As Paul begins to address the Peter pandemic that existed in the church of Corinth, he begins to show us first a childish mess. A childish mess. Paul here holds the church at Corinth accountable for their issues. He looks at them and says, guys, I can't even speak to you as mature believers. You're living by childish appetites. He said, I've got to give you milk. I can't give you meat. You're not able to bear it. You're still not. There was a shallowness. There was a lack of substance. By the way, there's nothing wrong with babies. Hey, we were all babies at one time or another. Amen? Amen. Nothing wrong with babies. As long as they grow up. It's normal and natural for a baby to desire milk. Peter wrote, 1 Peter 2 and verse number 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. It's a very normal thing. It's a very natural thing. It's a very good thing. But it's also normal, natural, and good at some point for that baby to wean off the milk and want some meat. I'd be real disappointed if my 11-year-old son asked for a bottle instead of a steak. But you know that happens to us spiritually. If Hebrews chapter five and verse number twelve we see this address, he said, For what for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again in which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become as such as have need of milk and not strong drink. And the reality is there is a whole host of believers in this church. And there is a whole host of believers in the church today. Who ought to be able to handle meat. But they're still only able to handle milk. And I'm going to tell you that creates a childish mess. It's a childish mess because of the childish attitudes. When you think about a baby... You have to know that childish appetites come with childish attitudes. Babies are self-centered. Babies are dependent on others for all of their needs. Babies have short attention spans. They are ignorant of truth they need to know. Babies have no sense of values. They're driven by their immediate wants. They are ruled by their appetites and they fitfully move from one thing to another. You think about babies, they're unable to feed themselves, protect themselves, or see beyond their own little world. Try to explain to Timothy when he's crying in the back seat Buddy, we're trying to get you home. Can't you see the big picture? No, he can't. He's a baby. Babies enjoy being the center of attention. Babies have no thought of the needs of others. Babies are demanding. And babies get themselves into the most awful messes. And expect others to clean it up for them. Now all of this is wonderful. As long as they grow up. But fill a church full of babies... Who refuse to grow up. And they will suck the life. Out of the ministry. They will suck the joy. They will suck the purpose and power right out of it. I'm going to tell you. We got to be careful. Because the world today. And the church today, if it shares the spirit of the world at all, we're full of what I call mid-Christians. Christians Christians who want to come so long as we can have it our way, so long as we can have it within our time frame, that fast food Christianity. I need it done my way, I need it done now. We we live in an age where we have have grown into a very me-first church. When prospective people ask me about the church, I'm rarely asked about what we're doing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm more often asked about what we would do for them or how we do or don't fit their own personal preferences. And if we're not careful, we'll end up with a childish mess in the church. You see, the world has produced a generation that has been told it's all about them. That they are beautiful and perfect just the way they are. And as long as they just follow their own heart, everything will be okay. And we've produced a generation that that thinks it's all about them. We've produced a generation that can't see beyond their next impulse. That's pretty characteristic of a baby. We've produced a generation that can't think beyond the Google search bar. I don't know how many believers have told me, well, I can't understand God's word and I can't study it, and so I don't ever read my Bible. And, you know, not being able to feed yourself is symptomatic of being what? And yet we've produced a generation that can't think beyond the Google search bar. I'm going to tell you, it's a mess because childish appetites come with childish attitudes. And if you fill a church full of babies who refuse to grow up, they will suck the life out of it. Paul didn't just talk about these childish appetites coming with childish attitudes. He also pointed out that it creates a childish mess because it brings carnal actions. He said, are ye not carnal For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal? One says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Paulus. Are you not carnal? Now, carnal means fleshly. It is the way of the old man. It is the way of the world. And we might put it this way. Childish fixations breed friction and foolishness in the body. Childish fixations. When I I have those childish appetites and childish attitudes, you know what they do? Childish fixations breed friction and foolishness in the body. Strife, envy, divisions. Now we expect children to act immature, don't we? We do. Kids will be kids, they say. You know what? If We had a kid in the nursery bite another kid. That wouldn't be good, right? But we probably wouldn't have that child arrested. Now if Brother Charles Kaufman bit somebody else this morning, we would handle it a little bit differently, wouldn't we? Why? Because we expect children to act immature, but we hope people grow up. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, that'll be a great chapter when we get to it. 1 Corinthians 13 11. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We hope people grow up. You know what I told our young people this week? I had the opportunity to preach chapel on Friday morning. I told the kids I would never go back to junior high or high school. I just wouldn't. I can't, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that. I'm glad I'm done with high school, amen? I'm glad I'm done with junior high. I've got to help my kids through it, and we'll get there, and it'll be wonderful and great and good, but I wouldn't go back, not for a million dollars I wouldn't go back. But I'm going to tell you, when Christians refuse to grow up, it breeds friction and foolishness and drama and division will fill the ranks. And it will suck the life out of a ministry. Church, there is nothing wrong with babies. And there's nothing wrong with being a baby Christian, provided you grow up. Think about it this way. What if 10 years from now, Timothy was the same size, had the same cognitive skills, had the same speech skills, had the same physical skills. It's cute now. It'd be a tragedy then. And by the way, you look at this church at Corinth, it wasn't that they... Couldn't have grown. You realize the Apostle Paul was there for a year and a half ministering in this place. Do you remember from chapter 1? The Apostle Paul described this church as a church that came behind in no gift. They had a tremendous teacher. They were tremendously gifted. It wasn't that they couldn't have grown and matured. It was simply that they didn't. So i got to ask us this morning. What does our spiritual growth chart look like? What does is, what is your spiritual growth chart look like? We don't stop growing this side of heaven, amen? I mean, David said this on 1715. He says, for as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I reach age 65. You think that's what David said? No. He said, I shall be satisfied when I have served in the church for at least 30 years. Then I can kick back and relax. David said, I shall be satisfied What when I awake with thy likeness. See, we don't arrive this side of heaven. I love what Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 13. Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't reached it. I, I haven't gotten there yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press Toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And brethren, if the Apostle Paul didn't arrive, if he was still looking for the upward curve on his growth chart, maybe we should be too. Maybe we should be too. Let me ask you how does your growth chart look? How are we doing? Because the trouble is, when we're content to stay where we are, when we're content to stay babes in Christ, we end up with a childish mess. And so, Paul here describes the childish mess that was created by the believers here at Corinth, their refusal to grow up. But I want you to see how then he he gives a corrected mindset. He doesn't leave them there. Aren't you glad that Jesus is still the answer? Aren't you glad that no matter what the struggle is, no matter what the problem is, no matter what the stronghold is, no matter what the issue is, no matter what the friction is, no matter what the foolishness is, there is an answer in Jesus. I want you to see the answer that Paul gives here, the corrected mindset. We'll pick that up in verse number four. Paul said, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? He says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything. Neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to to his own labor. Look at the corrected mindset that Paul gives here. Paul addresses here in particular a very specific aspect of this church's carnality, this church's fleshliness and that is division within the ranks. The church at Corinth was all about the who's who in God's work. Some lifted this man and and, and put them on a pedestal. Some would lift this man. You'll remember in chapter 1 some would say I am of Paul, I am of Peter, I am of Apollos, I am of Jesus and they would lift different men or different experiences Experiences or different philosophies, and put them on a pedestal. This is man worship. Man worship and God worship cannot coexist. Can I say in love this morning, this is not your church. Say in love this morning, this is not my church. This is the Lord's church. This is the Lord's church. And I pray that as long as the Lord allows us to exist, that there only be one big name here. And that name is Jesus. That name is Jesus. Now, church, hear me, this is not belittling men. This is simply calling us to a better perspective. that all of us, no matter what we do, are but servants in the Master's work. We have different gifts. But we operate in the same grace and we operate for the same glory for God. Romans 12 and verse number 3, Paul put it this way. Romans chapter 12, for I say, though the grace, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but To think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You see, God is at work in each of us who know Him. God is gifting us and gracing us to do something for His glory. It's not about the man, it's about the Master. Yes, we have different gifts, but we operate in the same grace. And we operate for the same goal, that God would be glorified. Later in this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see, we're going to see Paul enumerate this a little bit more. We'll pick up in verse number 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, now there are diversities or differences of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations or works, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, meaning we're going to do things differently. But it is the same God which worketh, all in, all. Guess what? My gift is no more important than your gift. Is no more important than your spouse's gift. Is no more important than the jail ministry leader's gift, the junior church leader's gift, the musician's gift, uh, the, the, the helps and hospitalities gift. Uh, they're different, and we're different, and that's okay. Because we work in the same grace and we work for the same goal. Paul really draws this out between him and Apollos. You see, these guys were very different guys. To give you a little bit of background, Paul was your more traditional, he, he was your more traditional kind of uh, Jewish thinker. Uh, he was very strong in the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, he was a very cultured man, but he wasn't really a great speaker. He wasn't really impressive in his person. You'll remember chapter 1, he talks about he was there in in weakness and in trembling and in much fear. You you saw Paul. There wasn't a lot about Paul that said, man, I want to follow that guy. Look at him. I mean, physically, just didn't really do that for you. Apollos was different. Apollos came from Alexandria. He was, he was kind of the, uh, the, the, the newer kind of guy and the newer way of thinking. And from what we can garner from the scripture, uh, where, where Paul was very cultured, Apollos was very charismatic. And if Apollos shared the theological bendings of his, of his origin at all, he would have been a little bit different from Paul in the way he viewed certain things in the Old Testament. And he even had to, we find in the New Testament, be corrected by a couple of believers to help him grow in his presentation of New Testament truth. But, but Apollos would have been charismatic, man. Like he was the one that, 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 that everybody looked to and said, wow, what a speaker, what a leader, what zeal, what joy, what passion. I want to follow that guy. And so you have the cultured and you have the charismatic and you have this, this rift that was taking place. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It is not Paul versus Apollos versus Peter. It is all of us for Jesus. Stop lifting up men and start lifting up Jesus. Church, I got bad news for you. I have to go to the dentist again this week. I might die. I hate the dentist. so. I I shouldn't hate. I don't hate the dentist personally, okay? I feel about dentists the same way I feel about physical therapists. Sorry, Steve. Just people who make their living off of my pain and agony. I just I struggle. I struggle. Church, I gotta go to the dentist this week. I might die. Somebody said amen, really. I mean I'm all about amens, but certain places, not amen to that. Here's the thing though. If I die on Wednesday, this church ought to be this full six months from now. Because it's not about a man, it's about the master. You don't follow me, you follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. We are one. We are servants in a shared ministry. We are one, junior church, RU, nursing home, jail, greeters, sound room, nursery, Sunday school musicians, helpers, people who, people who fix things around the building, people who cook meals for one another when they're sick and they're hurting. We are one. Some so, Paul said. Some water, Paul said. But we are one. We are one. We are one. We are one. Different gifts, but one God and one goal. It's not about a man, it's about the master. And Paul here very specifically addresses the childish mess of division in the church. But by the way, can I broaden it a little bit this morning? It doesn't matter what your childish mess is. It could be strife, it could be envy, it could be pride, it could be bitterness, it could be unforgiveness. I I don't know what the childish mess is this morning. And I don't know how it's manifested itself in your life and how it's festering in the lives of others. I don't know what it is. But I do know what the answer is. Take your childish mess, put it in perspective of the master, and see if it doesn't bring a whole lot of clarity about how we ought to handle it. Because it's not about a man. It's about the master. What this church was missing and what many are missing today is a mature mindset. A mindset that recognizes it doesn't matter who's in attendance. If God doesn't show up, it ain't going to get done. We are nothing. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered. Paul said, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth anything, because it's God and God alone that gives the increase. We are nothing, and he is everything. God alone gives the increase. God alone saves a soul. I don't ever save a man. God always saves a man. You know, sometimes God allows me to to be a part of communicating the saving message, but I don't save a man. I didn't die for your sins. Jesus did. And if he don't do it, it ain't getting done. No matter how eloquent I am, no matter how many funny or moving stories I tell, if God doesn't do it, it ain't going to get done. But that goes with Everything. It's God alone that saves the soul. It's God alone that convicts us and draws us back to Him. It's God alone that empowers us. It's God alone that comforts us. It's God alone that transforms us. It's God alone that that heals our marriages and our homes and, and makes us strong. And it's God alone that helps us to disciple and parent our children. It is God alone that gives the increase. John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, Without me, ye can do nothing. And by the way, when we remember that, you know what it does? It provides a unified focus and fervency that no matter where God has planned put me in His work, I desperately need God to work in and through me. We desperately need God to work in and through us the results are of God he gives the increase you know I don't always understand it either I'm just glad he does you know an unsaved person might ask how does blood cleanse sin I don't know how does water quench thirst I'm just glad it does amen I'm just glad it does a corrected mindset Childish mess can be addressed. We bring it in light of the Master. You know, that's important for us to remember because the Master is coming. Amen. Amen. Did you catch the end of verse 8? Let's look at that verse one more time. Paul said, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. But look at the end. Read it in unison with me. And every man shall receive his own reward. According to his own labor. We see not only a childish mess. We see not only a corrected mindset. But we also see this morning a coming master. Jesus is coming again. Hey, I got good news. God's going to show up one day. I got good news. We're going to get to stand before him. We're going to get to give an account. Some of you were thinking, oh, that's not good news. I don't want to give an account. Do you know every time it mentions the coming of Christ in relation to believers, it's never once really meant to be an intimidation. It's always meant to be an inspiration. Amen. Hey, Jesus is coming. I'm going to keep on keeping on until he does. Hey, Jesus is coming. I got to make sure I'm on track. You know, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes churches do the guilt thing a little too well. But the coming of Jesus was never really meant to be a guilt thing for the child of God. It's not meant to be a matter of intimidation. It's meant to be a matter of inspiration. Jesus is coming again. Think of it this way. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a sports banquet. I coach the junior high basketball team, and I'm going to give away five, six awards, something like that. And those kids know that those awards are coming. And so you know what? Those kids have been working and they've been practicing hard. And there are some days they probably didn't want to show up to practice, but they did. And there were some games where they were probably tired and wanted to come out, but they didn't. And they worked, and they worked, and they worked, and they worked. And maybe, just maybe, if he, when it's all said and done, they'll get their name called. And they'll get a little award for their effort. And that little award will sit on their shelf and then one day sit in their garage <laughs> for many, many years to come. Amen to that. You know, Jesus is coming again. I love what he said, Revelation 22. Jesus, this is the last chapter in the Bible. These are the last verses of Scripture. Jesus is bringing this thing to a close. This is the message he wants to leave you with. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. To give to every man according as his work shall be. Paul knew this in 2 Timothy at the end of Paul's life. Paul wrote 2 Timothy 4 in verse number 8. He said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing. Oh, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Now, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because we're going to take the next two weeks to talk about what, what, what judgment looks like biblically. By the way, the world doesn't have a clue what biblical judgment actually looks like. you got to be here these next two weeks. It would be a blessing and a help to you. But I want to point out two things this morning. First of all, the personal reception. Did you notice the end of verse 8? It says, and every man. That means each of us. Each of us will personally stand before God. Can I ask you this morning, are you ready? Are you ready? Hebrews 9 and verse 27 simply says, As it is appointed unto on man once to die, and after this the judgment. There's going to come a personal reception where you will personally, individually stand before God. Are you Ready. I ask you, first of all, are you saved? Has there ever been a point in time in your life where you have received the Lord Jesus? You have turned from your sin and you have turned to the Lord Jesus putting your faith in who He is. He is the very Son of God. Putting your faith in what He's done. He died your death that you might have His life. Has there ever been a time when you have turned from yourself and you have turned from your sin and you have turned to the Savior? Are you ready to stand before God? I implore you, you better know where you stand with God before you stand before Him. You better know where you stand with Him before you stand before Him. and God has made a way for us to be right with Him, but it doesn't happen by our good intentions. It doesn't happen by accident or happenstance. It happens when we choose to come to Christ our you ready? You will stand before God. Are you ready? Christian, can I ask you, are you growing? Or how are you growing? Now, I mentioned it earlier, don't receive this with an air of guilt. You know, one of the first messages we preached from this book was about the gap between grace and glory. You know, we are called to be saints. You know, I, I, I'm glad God has called me a saint, uh, but I know that I don't, I don't really practically measure up to saint status just yet. There's a gap there. I'm not all that I wish I was. And sometimes it's easy to look at the gap between where we are and where we think we should be, and we let the devil heap on guilt, and then we just don't do anything with it. We just sit and wallow in our guilt and shame. Jesus died to save you from your sin, from the guilt, and from the shame. So when I ask the question, are you ready, or are you growing? Boy, it's, it's not there to receive this with an air of guilt. But man, I hope there's an, there's an appreciation of this grace. That praise God, I can grow in grace. I can grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can praise Him and rejoice in the progress. Look back and see how far God has brought you. You know, I might not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I was, amen? And I can commit today to take the next step forward, amen? Whatever that may be. I'm not where I was, and I can commit to take the next step forward. I don't get mad at my kids because they don't understand algebra. They're not there yet. And that's okay. I'm not mad at my kids, Because they can't dunk a basketball. They'll never be able to dunk a basketball, but that's okay. I'm not mad at my kids because they lack that capacity at this point. What I care about as a father is are they growing? Are they growing? We have a personal reception. But I love this. Not only is there a personal reception, there is a personal reward. He said, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You know, down here, there's an element of shared benefit. What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean that you got to enjoy the heated auditorium this morning, whether or not you've given a nickel to the church all year. Right? There's a shared benefit that we all get to enjoy. But up there, when we stand before the Lord, it's not a shared benefit. It is a specific blessing. You know, down here, sometimes we get more credit or less credit. You know, sometimes people give us credit for things we didn't do. We just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Sometimes down here, people don't see what we did and they give our credit to somebody else. But up there, God's got a perfect set of books. And not even a cup of cold water that you've given in his name goes unnoticed. So church, don't stop short. We don't arrive till we get to heaven. Remember Psalm 17, 15? I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. You remember Philippians 3, 13 and 14? Paul said, I have not attained. I'm not apprehended. I'm pressing toward the mark. Don't stop short. Keep growing. Keep gaining. Keep giving. Keep going. Because the master is coming. The master is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, maybe you're not sure where you stand with God. I I want you to know, here at Harvest, we are just a bunch of nobodies. Who simply want to tell everybody about the somebody who can save anybody. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The fact is God loves you. That Jesus came to you since you didn't come to him. That Jesus died for you. That you might receive his life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We talk about this thing, this Peter pandemic, people refusing to grow. And here's the thing, guys. You're not going to start growing until you're born, amen? So I wonder who this morning just needs to make that decision to come and give their heart and life to Jesus, put their faith in who he is and what he's done. Are you ready? Church, this morning I ask us as we turn our hearts to a time of invitation. Are we willing to address the Peter pandemic that's in our heart? I don't want to grow up. I don't want to do hard things. But it's going to suck the life out of our homes and out of our church. Hey, Christian, what does your spiritual growth chart look like? I mean, can you look back and see times where you've just grown? But maybe you've plateaued. Maybe for some reason you thought, well, I've just arrived. No, we haven't. I'm going to tell you, you zoom out. God's got some more room for you to grow this side of heaven. And I wonder today, Christian, no matter where you are, no matter what that growth chart looks like, I wonder if each of us would say, wherever I am, Lord, I want to make a commitment to grow. I. You know what, there's foolishness and there's friction that abounds in everybody. but here's the thing, I gotta look at myself and say I can't let your problems stunt my growth you know sometimes the devil likes to bring up things in our heart and life but I gotta look at the devil and say I'm not gonna let my past stunt my present growth that we would say God by your grace and for your glory